Welcome to FACL, Ontario's podcast. FACL is a coalition of Asian-Canadian legal professionals working to promote equity, justice, and opportunity for Asian-Canadian legal professionals and a wider community. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, listeners. Welcome back to the FACL podcast series. This is your host, Michelle Cito, broadcasting live from my shoebox condo. And I'm your co-host, Andrea Lee, recording this podcast from my own home. Our world has changed drastically since the launch of our podcast series in March with Julia Shindoy. We are in the sixth week of a government-mandated lockdown. And as lawyers, many of us are still practicing as legal services are deemed essential. However, undeniably, many of us are feeling increased stress, anxiety, and fear about our personal health and those of our loved ones, about the rising anti-Asian sentiments from COVID-19 for students, exams, graduation, convocation, about our employment prospects and finances. Will I still have an articling position? Is my job safe? Can I pay next month's rent? Can I pay next month's mortgage? So in such times of uncertainty, it's important to feel connected within our communities, including the FACL community. We wanted to bring you a special FACL podcast episode dedicated to issues arising out of the pandemic and how Asian Canadians are being affected. This FACL podcast is meant to share the stories and insights of our members and help people know that we are all in this together. If you, our listeners, would like to share your experiences with us, please send us an email through our website at on.facl.ca or message us on Twitter. So today we have Gerald Chan, president of FACL Ontario and a partner at Stockwoods LLP, and Leonard Kim, a FACL director and Crown Prosecutor at the North Ontario region. Welcome, Gerald and Leonard. Thank you for joining the show from your respective homes. Before we launch into our first question, I just wanted to ask, how are you and your loved ones doing, Gerald and Leonard? Uh, we're doing great. I mean, it's, uh, you know, given all of the circumstances and uh, feel very fortunate in many ways, including the fact that I'm able to stay somewhat busy uh, with work, uh, even while sheltering at home and, and even just having a, a comfortable home in which to shelter makes me feel relatively fortunate these days. It's given me a little bit more time to take my son on daily bike rides outside. And so uh, that's a, an extra bonus. Um, but uh, trying to stay busy and uh, trying to get through this like everybody else. Yeah, and uh, similar for me here in, in uh, the north, uh, we um, have taken this opportunity to make the most of our family time and to have more flexibility with uh, the work that I can do. Uh, the work is still quite busy, but uh, given that the, the kids are now home, it's nice to uh, take advantage of the more flexible schedule. But um, it, is, uh, it is something that really makes you realize uh, and appreciate what you have uh, in life. The first question we'd like to tackle today is the rise of anti-Asian prejudice during COVID-19, which Michelle spoke about earlier. Gerald, you recently wrote an op-ed for the Toronto Star titled The Virus of Anti-Asian Prejudice. Why did you write this article? So like many other people, I've been following the news around COVID-19 somewhat obsessively just to try to stay on top of uh, all of the developments which seem to be changing every day and every minute. Uh, and every second. Um, 
But uh, while I was doing that, I started to see an increasing and disturbing rise of reports of anti-Asian prejudice in the media and also through uh, some of the community organizations that FACL partners with. And at first, you know, when the, when the virus uh, first started its outbreak in Canada a couple of months ago, uh, it would be you know more passive acts of prejudice. People saying we have to avoid Chinatown, we have to stay away from Chinese restaurants uh, because this is a Chinese virus. Uh, and then, as the epidemic erupted into a full-blown uh, pandemic in late March or mid-March, uh, I started reading more horrifying reports of overt racism and even violence against Asians in the United States, but also in Canada. Uh, there was one report that really jumped out to me and resonated with me, which was one of a Chinese-Canadian ER nurse being spit on and assaulted with an umbrella while she was waiting for her takeout uh, in downtown Toronto. And so it became impossible to ignore, especially when you consider all of these reports against the backdrop uh, and history of anti-Asian racism, uh, not only in the United States, but in Canada. And you can go back to the SARS epidemic in the early 2000s, uh, which uh, we all remember quite well. But of course, you could go back much further to the Chinese head tax and the Chinese Exclusion Act and the yellow peril phenomenon, uh, etc. And so to see it, to see anti-Asian racism flaring up uh, with all of that history in mind was highly concerning. And I felt compelled to, to speak up. Uh, and it, it was surprisingly a difficult op-ed to write, I found, probably because it was so personal. Um, you know, I've born here, grow, grown up here my entire life, um, raising a family uh, here, uh, and have always felt, as I wrote in the op-ed, incredibly proud uh, to be Canadian. I can't imagine really living anywhere else in the world. Uh, but what I came to realize as I was thinking through this and writing the op-ed uh, and reading all of these reports is that that pride alone is not enough, and that it has to be accompanied by vigilance. Uh, vigilance in fighting prejudice and in protecting what we, uh, what makes Canada so special to all of us in the first place, uh, namely it's you know, our, our cultural diversity and common humanity. Well, I want to pick up on some of the language you were using. You said you know some some people are using and calling COVID nineteen the Chinese virus, or you know we've heard some government leaders referring it to you know the Wuhan virus. And, you know, when you hear leaders, especially government leaders, um, use such language, what comes to mind? Like, how do you feel about that individually? And how, how, do you, how does that language impact the Asian Canadian community? I, I, I think it's hugely problematic. <clears throat> and it's, uh, you know, it's reckless. You hear the president of the United States call it the Chinese virus that's going to have a huge impact in how many, many people not only name the virus, but think of it. Um, and, you know, language does matter at the end of the day. <clears throat> Just to give one example of, of what can follow from that. Some of the, first of all, the feedback to the op-ed was, was fortunately overwhelmingly positive. Uh, but there were some negative uh, emails I did receive, and, and a number of them fit into the same pattern of, conflating um, criticisms of the Chinese Communist Party and of the you know, Chinese government and the policies and how they've approached the pandemic with uh, anti-Asian racism, not you know, in North America, in Canada, in the United States. And I think that that follows from a reckless use of language sometimes. When a lot of people hear Chinese virus, 
they're not necessarily thinking, uh, well, that's a, that's a criticism of the political regime or the policies of the government in China, or their misstating of, of statistics around the pandemic. What they're hearing is that this virus is associated with Chinese people, uh, and they don't even distinguish, uh, not that it should matter, but between Chinese people by nationality, Chinese people by ethnicity, and they just throw everything under that one broad category and direct uh, their animus uh, and their hostility uh, towards Chinese people in general, because it is become associated with something so negative and so destructive in their lives. And so I think what you see from that is that language really does matter at the end of the day. And, and we all have an obligation, uh, especially our political leaders, to be careful about the words that we use and to be mindful, not just of what our intention is in using those words, but what the effects are on other people when we use those words. And I'm, I'm just going to follow up with that because often I, I, I love reading, I love language, and I, I think sometimes, oftentimes, the language is also used to reflect how you truly feel. So you were talking about how you've always felt welcomed in Canadian society. I wonder if some of this language that people are, are using, this anti-Asian prejudice that's kind of being espoused through this language, is actually a reflection of how they truly feel. And this pandemic amidst all this fear is, is bringing those true sentiments out. That, that's my fear, uh, not for you know, the, the vast majority of Canadians, but, but for the uh, subset uh, of those who are now uh, expressing this sort of insidious anti-Asian prejudice uh, that we're seeing. And you know, I, I identify myself as an Asian Canadian, as a Chinese Canadian, um, and for most of my life, I have not seen uh, one as coming at the expense of the other. I still don't in terms of how I characterize my own identity, but I think the danger is that whenever you have uh, something um, negative happen that uh, causes some to view a community with suspicion, such as the pandemic, uh, the extraordinary uh, public health crisis that we now find ourselves in, that some people now see uh, the Chinese aspect of the identity and the Canadian aspect of the identity as coming into conflict, or they emphasize one to the exclusion of the other. And it causes those in the Asian Canadian community and the Chinese Canadian community to feel like the Chinese part is you know bolded and underlined and italicized, uh, and the Canadian part is being scrubbed out, uh, and that the Chinese part of that identity is not something to be proud of from the perspective of those who are uh, expressing this anti-Asian prejudice, but it is something that is foreign and infectious. And that's what I think leads to a sense of not belonging in Canadian society that is so damaging. I think that's what leads to a sense that we are uh, somehow on perpetual probation and that our uh, belonging in Canadian society is conditional on everything else going uh, perfectly fine. And I think that's the, that's the insidious part of it. Leonard, are, have you faced any special challenges um, personally living in Sudbury, Ontario, where there's a smaller Asian population? Well, the, the, um, the fact of the matter is, is that um, when terms such as Chinese virus or Wuhan virus are used uh, in the media, in particular with uh, the American media and American uh, political leadership, 
that is damaging because what it does, uh, as uh, Gerald has pointed out, uh, it does promote uh, the negative stereotype. And what, what I'm sensing here is that it promotes bias. It promotes that unconscious bias in the mind of, of Canadians and, uh, and as well as Northerners. The Sudbury experience, I have to say, for the most part, uh, as someone who's lived and, uh, and worked here for the past 16 years, uh, hasn't been negative at this point. I haven't experienced any overt uh, racism. Uh, there was one comment made to me with respect to Wuhan as I walked down the street the other day and put a letter in the mailbox, but I didn't pay much attention to it. That's just par for the course for living in a community where there's not a lot of Asians. However, I will say that um, living in Northern Ontario with, with uh, such a small Asian population uh, does make you feel more vulnerable. Um, we do feel that that there are um, potential for us to be uh, singled out uh, and scapegoated, really, for the for the perception that this is a Chinese virus or a Wuhan virus. Uh, when you walk down the street or when you go grocery shopping, people don't know. Uh, that you are born and raised Canadian. Uh, they just assume that you're a foreigner. They assume you're an outsider. And, um, and you know, you, you do get those looks uh, more so with the onset of COVID-19. And you do certainly um, take precautions. Uh, it's, uh, it's a sensitive topic for me. Uh, and it's one that is sensitive for, for my family because uh, we're uh, very much in tune with what uh, we're seeing across uh, the world with respect to anti-Asian uh, sentiment, both in the United States and in Canada. Uh, and uh, my wife in particular, who is a, an immigrant from South Korea, is very much in touch with, with the media um, uh, in the United States and Korean media in particular. And uh, she's expressed concern to me uh, about going grocery shopping uh, by herself. And so we actually plan our day around my work schedule to make sure that she doesn't go grocery shopping alone. Uh, and then I will accompany her because this is a real uh, issue that uh, is on our mind as a family. I also want to point out that um, uh, there, uh, there's a certain sense of perhaps protection that I'm trying to uh, impose upon my family uh, and for our children. The beauty of, of children is that they may not sense uh, the entire enormity of what's happening right now, the crisis and uh, and some of the uh, the anti-Asian sentiment that's out there. And so um, I'm doing my best as a father uh, to protect them from that, uh, simply trying not to discuss some of these things in their presence and just trying to make um, life as normal for them as possible. Um, and so it is a real issue here. I will also say oh, professionally, on a positive note, working for the Crown has provided for me a foundation of support uh, and confidence. And as I speak here as an individual, not on behalf of the provincial government or on Ministry of the Attorney General, as a hate crime prosecutor, uh, this is always on my radar. Issues of hate-motivated crime and hate crimes uh, was, is on my radar and consultations and advice and training for police and Crown attorneys here in Northern Ontario. Uh, so this situation is uh, simply um, an extension of what uh, I've already been doing. Uh, but it's certainly someone who lives and works in this community as well, someone who is also an Asian Canadian that is touched by these things. It causes you to pause. Um, I was actually quite disturbed by the racist incident that happened in March with uh, Russell Yoon, uh, an actor that came to North Bay an hour and a half from here. Uh, and he had experienced uh, some anti-Asian uh, comments from a random member of the public. 
that really hit home for me because where it happened at the North Bay waterfront, that's a place that I've taken my family on numerous occasions for, for picnics, for day trips, for walks along the boardwalk. And when that uh, article um, had come out in the Toronto Star about that very negative uh, outburst of uh, anti-Asian uh, uh, racist comments to him, uh, that really hit home for me because that could have been me. That could have been me with my family. Uh, but on a positive note, the, um, the mayor of North Bay did reach out and apologize. And I was happy to see that uh, they had reconciled and, uh, and, and the actor had not seen that as being representative of, of all residents of North Bay. And it also mirrors my experience on a positive note. For the most part, here in Northern Ontario, these types of uh, outbursts of anti-Asian uh, sentiments are, are rare. And um, I'm hoping that uh, they continue to be like that. Thanks, Leonard, for sharing. I think I really do resonate with some of the experiences you were talking about with respect to grocery shopping and, you know, your wife being afraid. You know, last weekend, I wore a mask for my very first time, and I was very hesitant to do so because, you know, I was afraid of those prolonged glances and the perhaps associated racism and anti-Asian bigotry that is often associated, I think, with the mask. So let's talk about this unconscious bias and the more subtle and less overt signs of anti-Asian bigotry and racism that have emerged. And we've kind of touched on this already, but Gerald, do you want to do you want to start first? Sure. I mean, it's interesting you 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 mentioned the mask point here because I I think that that um, does contribute to it maybe hopefully less so uh, as we move forward uh, with everyone now being encouraged to wear <clears throat> masks out in public. But uh, aside from evoking images of Asian Canadians and Asians uh, being infectious, because I think Asians disproportionately wore masks, through, especially during the SARS epidemic um, a number of years ago, it also conceals the identity uh, of people in a way. I mean, on the one hand, you know, they, they, the prejudice arises from the fact that they see you as being uh, Asian and Asian only uh, and foreign in a sense. On the other hand, it conceals your individualistic identity and I think in a sense uh, depersonalizes things and can make it easier, if anything, to uh, act out in a, in a prejudicial way against someone who is covered up in that sort of way. So uh, I think that that does contribute to the unconscious bias that can be so damaging. Um, all, look, all of us are, are guilty of unconscious bias in, in some form or another, uh, you know, whether it's anti-Asian prejudice or, or some other sort of prejudice. So we all have to be, I think, as a first step, mindful that that can be an issue. And it's so challenging to deal with precisely because it is unconscious and, and biases have crept into our thinking and our actions uh, over the long course of our lives because of uh, a variety of different experiences that we're not always mindful of. So I think the first step is for everybody, um, uh, whether you're Asian or, or non-Asian, racialized or not racialized, uh, to be aware that this uh, can uh, infect our thinking, for lack of a better term. And beyond that, uh, once uh, you know we collectively take that first step and acknowledge that, I think it does make it incumbent for all of us to call out um, not always in a in a in a way that is uh, condemning, but to to talk about openly and candidly what can be so damaging when it comes to anti Asian prejudice in the case of our community, so that people become more aware of 
the little things that are that give rise to prejudice before they uh, balloon into something that is much more overt uh, and and even violent. I think that, uh, as I, I wrote in the op-ed, that it can sometimes be a short line between passive acts of prejudice and the more hostile acts of hate that we are uh, unfortunately seeing reported in the media now. And I think that's true, that the uh, more passive acts that we may not think about all the time, you know, lur- someone who lurches uh, to avoid uh, an Asian Canadian wearing a mask in a grocery store, even if they don't say something racist to them or uh, act out in an aggressive way towards them, that sends a signal, uh, not just to the person who you are lurching to avoid, uh, but to everybody else around you, that this is someone who is different. This is someone who is uh, potentially infectious uh, uh, based on nothing more than their appearance, and we ought to stay away from them. And that creates a climate in which more overt and more hostile acts are um, you know more readily committed, and I think that's that's the danger. So, I think the 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 important part of it in terms of being part of the solution is not simply to focus and direct our efforts towards you know the the, the low hanging fruits. I mean, everybody is uh, should easily condemn any sort of overt uh, hostile act uh, and violent act of racism, but it's to also talk openly and candidly about the more subtle. Uh, things uh, that can contribute towards creating an environment in which uh, prejudice is tolerated. I think Gerald's raised a, a number of excellent points, um, and I, I'm just going to draw this into who we are as as uh, lawyers and in the legal profession. I think that we have a heightened responsibility, being a part of uh, a democracy where we rely so much on the rule of law, we rely so much on good citizenship and and being a part of uh, of a society that uh, values diversity, that values and respects others for who they are and, and really promotes dignity. I mean, that, that is something that goes to the heart of who we are as, as Canadians and who we are as lawyers. And so I think with that does come uh, that additional responsibility to uh, do our parts, uh, to speak up, as Gerald has done so eloquently in the op-ed, uh, to point out these prejudices that ultimately uh, can be very harmful and as Gerald's pointed out, mater- uh, manifest themselves into hate-motivated crimes or hate crimes directly, and um, and so I think that this is uh, this is the time. This is the time for lawyers to speak up. This is a time for us to uh, stop uh, others and, and speak up when uh, when racist comments are being made, uh, specifically with respect to uh, Asian Canadians in the context of COVID nineteen. But I will say this as well, quite candidly, if I may. It's not easy. It's not easy, uh, I think, especially for many of us as Asian Canadian lawyers, because it really goes to the heart of who we are as people. Uh, This is uh, an area of vulnerability for many of us, our families, our parents uh, who live and work uh, in our uh, society. And sometimes you have to ask yourself, well, you know, uh, for example, here's correspondence from opposing counsel, and that lawyer has used Wuhan virus uh, in the correspondence to reference perhaps a scheduling matter. Here I am trying to schedule something with the trial coordinator. Is this the right time to call that lawyer out in uh, amongst the entire discussion that I'm having with, with counsel and the trial coordinator? And sometimes you have to ask yourself and say, perhaps I'll have to leave that one and move on because amongst the things that you want to work on that day, 
this isn't something that you want to add to your day. So that that's a practical reality, personally, for me, uh, as a lawyer, where uh, you have to really think about, is this the right opportunity or the context or appropriate? Or is there another opportunity for me to raise that with that counsel, or perhaps the profession itself? But I do believe that we have that responsibility. Because uh, I do believe that uh, with Gerald speaking up uh, and writing that op-ed, that he has, uh, has expressed the perspective of so many Asian Canadians that perhaps didn't really want to go there because it is an area of vulnerability for us. I think it's, it's absolutely right uh, that it can be very difficult uh, for us in our individual capacities to speak up depending on the situation and depending on the context. But, but you know, Leonard's given a great example uh, of where we may come into encounter with anti-Asian prejudice, but, but for whatever reason decide in that particular instance that it's uh, not the right time to speak up. But my hope is that uh, where, you know, the role of organizations like FACL Ontario uh, and where we can be useful is in providing a platform uh, and providing a space where it is easier to speak up because we're doing so collectively and we have a certain uh, amount of capital within the legal community and and our voices can be heard more easily uh, and more readily by people. So I think that's that's one of the advantages and I hope uh, it's one of the ways that uh, faculty Ontario can be useful going forward. The other thing I wanted to add is that, you know, this is anti-Asian racism and prejudice is just not something I think that uh, we talk about or have talked about all that much in the past for a variety of reasons. One of them being the so-called model minority myth that Asian Canadians are a privileged uh, racialized group on the whole. And, you know, that's certainly true of some of the members of our community, but I think it can serve to obscure the vast differences that's, you know, in terms of how well uh, different Asian Canadians are doing in our community. And can, it can also obscure uh, some of the uh, systemic issues that make it more easy for this prejudice to flare up in times like we have right now. And so I think that's another reason why I felt compelled to speak up and why I think we all still have a continuing obligation to speak up is because we have to talk about this uh, probably more openly and candidly than we have in the past if we're going to have a chance of addressing some of the more systemic and unconscious bias issues that do exist. Gerald, in your Toronto Star op-ed, you called for uh, vigilance in fighting prejudice. As this shutdown that we're in continues, I think we'll probably be hearing more instances of people becoming frustrated. Uh, we're hearing about protests happening in the U.S. I've heard of some small incidents in uh, Ontario communities. You know, how can uh, we help our listeners to be vigilant in fighting prejudice? And, and what would this look like in someone's day-to-day -day life? Sure. I, so I, I don't think there's any one way to do it or any one right way to do it. Um, and I don't, I don't mean to suggest that we should feel badly about ourselves whenever uh, we, we pass up on an opportunity to speak out for the reasons that, that Leonard articulated uh, so well that there may be perfectly valid reasons sometimes why we choose not to do so. But where we can, I think we should. And I don't, I don't think this should be limited to, to uh, this certainly shouldn't be limited to Asian Canadians, but I think all Canadians should, where they see instances of prejudice or racism, should 
speak up. And this could be, you know, I mean, we're all confined to our home largely these days and, and communicating uh, virtually. Uh, so it could be as simple as saying something on, on Twitter or social media when, when you see a conversation, a virtual conversation going in the wrong direction. Um, when you see people questioning why uh, we are so offended by the term Chinese virus. And it doesn't always have to be, uh, and it shouldn't always be confrontational in a negative way on our parts. I think while it may be difficult and while we may be perfectly justified sometimes in responding um, with more outrage, uh, and that's, that may well be the most appropriate response sometimes. Uh, on other occasions, I think we can be more constructive and positive in our response as well to uh, simply explain to people who may not have had the personal experiences that we've had, may not have uh, felt it as personally as we have that look this is you know we appreciate that that the intention may not be to express prejudice or to be racist against Asian Canadians but here's here's how it actually plays out on uh, with the community here are the effects of using that language or here are the effects of sort of ignoring the uh, or writing off the instances we're seeing in the media as one-off instances that uh, are extremely rare and we don't have to worry about this is how the community feels it. This is how uh, you know we are made to feel that we don't belong. Sometimes I think that sort of response can also go a long way uh, with uh, other people in in uh, making them more aware of unconscious bias and uh, uh, hopefully making it so that they're more vigilant in turn about calling out acts of prejudice and racism when they see it. Thanks, Gerald Leonard. Do you have any thoughts? No, I, I think um, this is. Uh, I think Gerald has expressed uh, quite uh, well. I, I, I think that this is a very sensitive time in our um, in our country. I will say that um, I think what's worked well uh, over the years in Northern Ontario is really focusing on not so much what makes us different and what divides us, but focusing on what unifies us. And I really think that this is a golden opportunity for us perhaps uh, as people, as a whole, to turn, perhaps pivot where those uh, instances of hate may be, where appropriate, uh, perhaps subtle, and uh, allow us to focus on really what the real battle is here. And that's against a deadly virus. And the fact that we as Canadians, as Northerners, as lawyers, uh, as people uh, really need each other. And so I think that while certainly um, we have a responsibility to speak up um, and the more difficult, delicate ones are those subtle ones, perhaps raised amongst people that, uh, that you otherwise um, wouldn't mind having a beer with or having a cup of coffee with. Uh, but I also think that this is also an opportunity for us to emphasize the unity of what brings us together as, as Canadians uh, and, uh, and to really um, learn from this entire experience. So thanks, Gerald and Leonard, for sharing your insights and thoughts. I think there are many uplifting examples of kindness and compassion that bind us together um, as human beings. And so we wanted to end this segment on a lighter note. So I'm going to start by asking a more personal question uh, to you first, Gerald. Do you have any moments of joy to share with our listeners from your personal life? Certainly, I think, uh, and I'm going to embarrass my son a little bit by saying this, although he's he's too young to be embarrassed probably by this. Uh, but uh, every morning he he takes out his violin and and practices, uh, and so it's just the most incredible start to my day to wake up and to 
he's usually up before me downstairs already practicing with my wife. And so to wake up to that is incredibly uh, joyful uh, and uh, on, you know, along the lines of a more uplifting uh, story, especially with all of the negative stories we're seeing in the media these days about the pandemic. Um, CBC recently did a wonderful piece on uh, his violin teacher and how she's been able to keep up the music lessons over Zoom, which is how he's now taking the lessons. And so uh, that was a very special moment for our family to be able to uh, speak to the reporter from CBC about uh, how the lessons are both giving him joy because he loves music, uh, but also uh, helping him to maintain some routine and some normalcy in his life, given that uh, he's not going to school and the sporting activities are not possible anymore. Uh, so that's really uh, been one of the highlights, the personal highlights for me and something that uh, is incredibly uplifting for me is to uh, see my five-year-old playing away at his violin and, and being able to continue doing so despite the physical limitations that we're all under right now. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing. Leonard? Well, there's, there's two things. Um, also on the music front, I have... Uh, uh, my oldest is uh, is a cellist, and so he um, has been playing more cello than normally, uh, which is good to see. Um, but um, he also plays video games, and he's really into Minecraft. And so lately, he's been sitting at the piano uh, quite a bit on his own and just trying to replicate the theme songs in, in Minecraft on the piano. And so I can hear the theme song right now as I'm talking to you over and over again. And um, my wife, who is a, is a musician, has been uh, helping him out with that. And there they are uh, late at night trying to figure out how to play these different uh, Minecraft uh, theme songs on the piano. So those are moments that likely would not have been able to happen uh, amongst the, the busyness of our usual routine. Um, so like Gerald, there's some uh, positives with music in our home. The other uh, positive is that we've uh, taken the brave step as a family to uh, use this opportunity where everyone's home to adopt a puppy. So we have uh, a young uh, puppy. We went we went for a drive on a family trip. We felt cooped up and we went for a drive down to uh, near Sault Ste. Marie to a breeder and adopted a little golden doodle. And he's now firmly in our home um, and, and the love and joy that I see my kids uh, expressing uh, to that young puppy, my, my daughter in particular, who's taken quite a leadership role in that regard, is uh, it brings joy to my heart as a father. Um, and certainly um, it's, it's encouraging to see the children that uh, are not really connected to the crisis directly and seem to be just, they miss their friends, they miss school and they miss their activities. Uh, but with uh, with the new puppy in the home, they've got their hands full and are, are quite happy. So that's a blessing. That sounds wonderful, Leonard. I have yet to convince my family members that we can get a puppy. So we're going <laughs> to share this FACL podcast with them and hopefully they'll uh, be inspired similarly. So yeah. thank you, Gerald and Leonard, for joining us today and sharing all of your stories with us. We know our listeners will certainly appreciate your insights and we hope you continue to stay safe and healthy with your families. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We invite you to check out our website at on.facl.ca and subscribe to FACL's newsletters and podcasts. If you have any questions, please contact us through our website. We look forward to having you join us again.